Welcome to Fresh Ears. I'm Neil Cowling, the founder of Fresh Air. And we spend all day, every day, thinking about, planning and making podcasts for brands. This series is all about exactly that. Why would a brand make a podcast? What would they be looking to achieve? Is it very difficult? How do you choose a format, a presenter, the music, the guests, and how do you promote it? We know all the answers to this. And if you go back through the back catalogue of Fresh Ears, you'll find a huge range of our clients discussing the work we've done with them and the podcast we've made. In this episode, we're going to explore one of the most unusual, brave and successful podcasts we've made. It's called Upfront and it's a show about financial services. No, stop. It's not boring. It sounds like this. This is all the call. Not live, but definitely direct. If you're in the financial services industry, this podcast is for you. Don't you think it's time we got upfront about some of your issues? Everyone in the world needs financial services. So why are they a turnoff for so many people? What's it going to take for you to become an industry that turns people on? I'm looking for answers. To get them, I'm hitting up outspoken experts with questions that tackle the industry's challenges head on. So you can build a financial services business people truly love. Yeah, I said love. Search for Upfront on your favorite podcast app, subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. It's going to be sexy. For legal reasons, I must state that as a joke. The client for Upfront is Iris, a financial services software company based in the UK and Australia. And I'm joined by Kate Atkinson, the content lead, and Matt Holland, the head of communications. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for coming along. Um, Let's start, perhaps, Kate, by explaining who Iris is and what you do, please. Sure. So um, we're a financial services software company. We're based in Australia, UK, South Africa, and we've also got locations in Canada and America. So we're pretty global and we sell financial services software to for financial advisors, banks, um, traders, institutions, all that sort of thing. It's one of those companies that we probably all use your stuff every day without knowing it. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got a mortgage, chances are it's been one of our systems that's helped power that mortgage. Yeah. And you've got this mission to make people love financial services. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah. So we recognise that not everyone has this emotional connection with financial services um, and in marketing obviously a lot of the marketing we do is about telling stories and we wanted to make people feel something about it and especially something like very rational like um, financial services software um, we wanted to bring more emotion into that so we felt how can we make people feel something about it um, we feel that software should be something that makes people go wow wasn't that easy wasn't that great I love my job um, and, and make every day easier so that's really what we're all about. And your communications, Matt, how do you try and fulfill that mission to make people feel something about financial services? It's really, it's a really ambitious way to phrase it, to love financial services. Really, it's, it's almost an impossible mission. Mm. But if you start high and you, we couldn't say, well, we just want people to feel lukewarm about financial services. We want, we want to make mm. sure we're pushing, pushing the way to, yeah, pushing the amb- ambition of, of trying to create great, great experiences because you tap it. 10 people on the shoulder, 10 people who have horrible stories about how financial services have mistreated them or they've done something to them or they haven't, you know, fulfilled the promise. We want to aim for love and we might end up in lukewarm. And that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, good, that's a good result. That's great. So, podcast. When did you first start talking about making a podcast? How, how does that fit into this plan, Kate? 
Oh, so we were getting a bit frustrated with our content program. Um, we were doing a lot of blogs, white papers, um, a lot of long form content. You know, it's heavy. It takes a lot of time to write. And it was getting ideas from the business was like getting blood out of a stone. We wanted thought leadership, um, but we just weren't getting any thoughts, let alone thought leadership. And it was really frustrating. And it just, we get some average results, some okay views and and clicks and stuff, but it wasn't really anything that was going to shift the dial. After I think a particularly frustrating time, you know, when we were like brainstorming for content and just one idea kept coming back and it was data. And um, we, <laughs> we were <laughs> like, this isn't going to be fun to write, let alone for people to want to read. So we were like, what, what else can we do? And actually, I think it was Matt that you suggested, well, let's try podcast. And we had sort of dabbled in a podcast before, a bit of a DIY home version. There's which a lot I of those around. I That's, wouldn't recommend that. There's no shame that. in that. <laughs> I think there was a bit of shame. Yeah, there was well. a lot of shame. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, to be fair, the people who worked on it, uh, you know, it was a good stab in the right direction, but we knew we needed something else. Mm. We wanted to raise brand awareness in all of our markets and we felt a podcast would be a really good way of doing that, being global in reach and, yeah, just a different medium for us to try. And so you could have, to be fair, made a really dry podcast about financial services, you know, and a lot of people would say, let's kind of take what we would have done in a white paper and read it or turn it into a, a panel discussion that just takes that same content but puts it on a different platform. You decided to be genuinely disruptive and genuinely innovative I remember you being a bit scared. Um, <laughs> how scared were you, Matt? Uh, yeah, I was pretty scared, actually. So, um, you definitely uh, were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, knew, we knew that we needed... I mean, we'd, we'd done the, the white paper turned into a panel conversation. We, we, have, we had already done that. So we had a bit of a track record of what we thought could work or didn't work. And, and we, we, we sort of evolved to podcasts because... We tried a lot of other things, and we could have, you know, we could have said, "Yeah, that was that was good, that was successful," but we, it wasn't it really. It, it, you know, you get a sort of feeling inside whether that's a, been a successful initiative or a successful piece of of content. Uh, and so, this was about doing something that scared us. We really had no idea. We knew that we could get great people uh, to talk or to to contribute, and we wanted to wait a, a way to capture their voices rather than us tell the stories all the time and talk about topics that we thought were interesting or that the other people within the business thought were interesting. But um, and we knew that if we were going to do that, we needed to do it in a way that was going to sort of you know punch people a little bit or hit hit people because otherwise you're making some vanilla stuff that is interesting to make and good fun to produce. But if nobody's listening to it, it's kind of a you know we didn't want a vanity project. I think that was. That was what it was, and uh, and we had been talking a lot at the time about that mission, about making it easy to love financial services, and what were some of the challenges behind that. We talked about financial, um, this, the levels of financial literacy in the UK and Australia, for example, the lack of engagement that people have with their retirement planning at a certain certain age. We talked about all these kind of challenges that that sit within financial services that don't really get addressed, or what Iris wasn't addressing anyway, but sort of should apply or had you know had a broad appeal to to the entire industry and and we had to think about how would we present those themes or present that conversation from a technology company that was a support partner to the industry how would we find a way of doing that that was relevant and interesting and and we thought the best way to do that was to scare ourselves yeah to 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 sort of punk it up to yeah yeah well punk it up is definitely the the term that we've used a lot and and how you would refer to this Kate can you summarize the format 
for us and, and, and explain how Upfront sounds. Yeah, sure. So um, Upfront, it's called Upfront because we start every episode with a, a bold Upfront question that we put to our guests. It's talking about a challenge, particular challenge or issue in the industry and how we can solve it and getting a straight up answer from that person before we then talk around the issue in more detail and then leave the audience with some key takeaways. So our host is Olga Kosh. Um, she's a stand-up comedian. And when we came up with the brief for this, we decided, you know, we had Charlie Brooker in our head, that kind mm. of, you know, edgy, tell it how it is sort of personality. Um, so we didn't have the budget for him. So that was <laughs> just a guide. So in thinking about the voice and the personality for Upfront, that was kind of our steer and what we were aiming for. And then everything kind of fell out of that, really. Um, yeah. We found Olga and she herself is quite edgy and punky. And I think her voice on Upfront she is the sound of upfront. That's the personality. That's where it comes from. So it's bold, it's frank, it's honest, and it's straight down the line. Yeah, she's she is unique, isn't she? And as you say, we did a lot of shortlisting, and we do this for all sorts of clients of you know who could be the voice of this. Let's do a wish list. Let's break that down. Let's let's approach. And I think we we always talked about a comedy type voice, but wouldn't it be great if they had some interest in financial services and Olga ticks all those boxes, doesn't she? And she's, she's genuinely interested in the content as well as being someone who you wouldn't expect to be presenting the Financial she, Services Podcast. She absolutely is. And um, yeah, she she's hosted tech podcasts. She's got a degree in computer science. So it, it fitted. It doesn't, didn't just feel like we were just putting a comedy, a comedian on there for just because that wouldn't make any sense. But we knew we wanted to do something differently. You know, when we looked at the podcasts that were out there, they were all blue, bland, presented by men. So we're like, we've, we've gone by pink and we've got a female presenter and gone very, very different in our tone. I mean, our first episode in series one was called Out of the Blue, which spoke about financial services and how it needs to break away from this stale male pale image. So, you know, we're also living that in the podcast as well. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it Within the first five seconds of the show, you've got the music, you've got mm. the attitude, you've got Olga. The other element of the production side of it is Raj. And Raj Panda is one of our producers. Um, and she's the producer that we put on this show. It was a bold call for us because her background is... is n Raj is not who you would expect to produce a financial services podcast. Um, Raj has been a producer and presenter for Radio 1, for One Extra, for BBC Asian Network. She's a social media expert who's worked on shows like Love Island. But it felt exactly right to put her on this to come up with this idea um let's hear a little bit from raj explaining how she came up with the concept matt and kate had a very very clear brief for upfront and that really helped me to come up with the whole concept of the show they were very specific about what they wanted to the point where they had a 10 episode plan for season one that included titles themes and a question that each episode would be asking so for example, one of the episodes, they had a title that was there called Mind Your Language. And the question was, can financial services be more accessible to everyone? And then they would write like a little paragraph about what they thought that episode would look like. And obviously for me, I'm an entertainment producer. I don't come from the world of financial services. I actually don't understand finance. I barely passed maths. So this was quite scary for me. And I was just like, wow, this is a world I really don't know anything about. But they really held my hand through it all. And the main thing that they wanted was 
to kind of put it out there about thinking about whether or not there would ever be a time where people would love financial services. And I think it helped that I kind of didn't love financial services and that it, it would put me off if someone would talk about financial services to me. Even when I speak to my accountant, it puts me off. I just zone out. So it was about also creating something that could please me in a way and ignite some sort of interest for me as well, which probably helped. I think it helped. But yeah, one thing that they wanted for Upfront was that it needed to stand out from other podcasts about financial services. And, you know, I did a quick search on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of that to look at what existed. The things that existed were like all presented by men who looked really drab and boring and their suits and their ties and just rigid, really dull colorways, lots of blue, just boring. Like, you know, something that I, a Love Island watching, (laughs) entertainment loving person would not look at twice. They had a target audience. They knew it was going to be predominantly male. They knew it was going to be between the ages of 30 to 55. I'm very aware that, okay, I might be in that age range, but I'm not a man, so, you know, whatever. But we were we were halfway there. So they really wanted it to have a new spin on the common themes that are affecting the industry and be entertaining and look at the bigger picture, look beyond the market and economics you know all that stuff that anyone who's not in it doesn't really understand unless they have a dedicated passion for it so the entertainment bit was what got me I was just like okay they want it to be entertaining I know entertainment let's have a look at this 10 episode plan and like they had really thought about it in depth you could tell the amount of work and preparation that had gone into it and they had already sort of captured that whole entertaining and aspect of it where you know it would appeal to pretty much anyone anyone who had a small interest or, you know, that anyone could come away from this podcast and sort of have a better understanding of the things that were being discussed. So yeah, that draft content program really, really, really helped. For me, one of the things that sets the tone for everything is always your talent. Like who is going to host this? From looking at everything, you know, you could see that there were lots of men. I was kind of like very, very keen on finding a woman to host. And then we came across Olga, obviously, and she was a perfect match. She was actually a very, very good match for us. And it helped as well that she was American. She had basic knowledge of the area, better knowledge than me. And she had this tone of voice that I felt like I could write really fun intros and really crazy lines for that just made everything feel a little bit more entertaining and fun and edgy and cheeky and she could get away with speaking in a certain way that I don't think maybe a British person would like in a British tone of voice I don't think so so that worked out for us really well and whenever I do a podcast I really like to sort of create a feature or a format that basically does what the brief has asked for but in a really fun entertaining like a radio way you know like you get those features on a radio show And they're the features that the show is kind of known for. So that was where the feature, the love interruption came from. To balance it out, I thought the best thing to do would be to interrupt the conversation mid-flow when things were getting too negative, things were getting moany, you know, and interrupt it with very, very cheesy music. And at the time, there was this 
bit of music that was on Instagram stories and it went wow 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 I couldn't use it on the final podcast because of rights issues obviously but I would interrupt whatever was going on in that conversation and play this music and then I would just get the guests to react to the music and some of them would be like what the hell is going on oh my god what is this some people would just laugh and be really like what the hell's going on and then all of a sudden Olga would get into this hammy cheesy voice and deliver this very over-the-top romanticized uh awful awfully written but very, very skillfully written at the same time it's meant to sound awful intro about you know this is the love interruption oh my god oh my what is that that sounds like a love interruption and then uh we would she would get into what was happening and then we would get them to talk about what they loved about financial services and yeah that really I think brought a little bit of lols to the whole podcast and it made guests think what the hell is going on here like what is this podcast about and the other thing we did was like we made sure that everyone every guest that came onto the podcast, they were briefed. And like, I was kind of like, very much like, if you want to say something that you haven't said anywhere before, like you can, you don't have to talk in fancy language. We want to talk in plain English and we want it to be very real and raw and we want it to feel like a conversation that like is happening between friends and, and all of that. So setting the tone of voice, like that was very, very important. And, you know, I thought about that whole thing about it being entertaining and it being different from anything else that exists out there for the artwork and even like the sound of the podcast so the sound of the podcast it opens with very very punky music and that music was mainly inspired by a bad reputation by Joan Jett and the Black Hearts which is the track that is on the opening credits of Freaks and Geeks I just watched Freaks and Geeks at the time and um, I was really obsessed with it and I just loved it and then me and our designer Monica we came up with all these Sex Pistols references for the artwork and we wanted the artwork to feel very punk and cool and we got sent these pictures from Olga's agent that we just tampered with to the max and just made it feel like the cover of a Sex Pistols album, I feel like. And yeah, that was that was pretty much it. That was how the concept came together. Like everything just wanted to feel like punk and edgy, but we weren't afraid of being cheesy at the same time. So it was kind of like a bit of everything, a bit of everything that I think entertainment should be. And Raj, uh, specifically, uh, you know, and she won't mind me saying this, I think Raj was probably one of the things that frightened you the most just in terms of who is this person you've you've put out. Raj has got a certificate in our bathroom in the office for saying the word motherfucker in a, <laughs> in a format pitch <laughs> to you. Um, and um, I, I, I also remember Michaela being on a call and kind of saying, I don't know whether this is right you, because that's that's something that we bring to the table i suppose as as a company it's our job particularly when you had briefed us to be bold mm. and and we sort of understood your brief it was our job to kind of push you obviously within the limits of what you're able to do how do, do you remember when you think back to those early days of of us doing that pushing how did you react to that were there moments where you thought we'd gone too far I, I was very much here for Raj pushing us. I think it's exactly what we needed. I think the point you're referring to, we had a bit of a tricky time at the start where we were trying to ba- find the right balance for the content in the in each episode. You know, we were going out there with a really bold upfront question and almost we were, tr- our purpose was to try and agitate the industry, which is what we wanted to do, but not get their backs up. This is our client base after all. Um, we didn't want to go out there looking like we were just kind of, you know, 
slating the industry. So we had a few battles internally to try and make sure, you know, keep people happy and make sure that they were satisfied that we were doing the right thing in the podcast. Mm. And we needed, I think, get a lot of buy-in from people at Iris um, who perhaps weren't quite sure what direction it was taking. It was very difficult to visualise at that point. We didn't have, really have anything to show. Yeah, it's difficult, that, isn't it, when there is nothing to... Mm. There is no pilot. There's there's nothing to demonstrate. You're going on your faith and your conversations mm. with us. But you've when it comes to that internal selling, you're asking people to trust you, aren't you? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, yeah, having a producer on it who's worked on Love Island, there were a few moments where we we're like, are we doing the right thing? What what are we thinking? But Raj was brilliant at really. She took on board all our feedback and she would really pull it back to where the right place where it needed to be. She had that amazing idea for the love interruption feature, which brought some balance back to the episode. And we were able to kind of position it in a way that people were comfortable with at Iris. But actually, we found out we could have gone further with it. Um, so she was great at driving us and her tone, her, her scripting was awesome. And she really brought some fresh, the fresh vibrancy that we wanted to this podcast. We were really, really clear on the brief. I think we were really comfortable that we had the brief right. But beyond that, part of that brief was to be bold and to, and to agitate. And um, beyond that, we didn't know what, we, I didn't know what we were going to get, but I knew that we had selected a great podcast partner. We, we knew your credi- your credibility, your background, the the skills that we'd met, Michaela, we'd met a couple of your team and we knew that, that we were in safe hands. Uh, and then Raj, Raj's background, we it was the right combination to just sort of let go a little and see and see what happened. But at the heart of it was the clarity of the brief. And we knew that we if we were going to do it successfully, we had to let go and we had to we had to just let you push us and, and see where we ended up. That's really interesting because I think there's we talk a bit sometimes about podcasting being in the too difficult box mm. because if you're a brand or a comms person, you know how to write a blog or you know how to create a piece of visual content. This can feel quite tricky and it can also, a lot of creatives are visually driven mm. and therefore don't, they, they find it difficult to imagine what the podcast is going to sound like and also feel like it's a lot of hard work. And, it is hard work. How how labour intensive was it compared to what you thought it was going to be? Did, did it take a lot of your time to get to that point where you were happy with it? It did take some time and dedication, but we were committed to it. But I would say compared to what we were doing before when we were writing content that we didn't know how it was going to land, you know, putting a, doing a lot of research and stuff into pieces and writing stuff, it was a whole lot easier um, <laughs> and a lot less work than I expected actually and I think I've learned that in doing series two actually I probably put a lot into series one and probably too much in the whole in the planning and the scripting and then realized that it just happens you know these conversations just happen and you've got your content and it's all recorded and it's done it for you and mm. you know it's the content you're get, creating great content from a conversation you don't have to write that. You don't have to write reams and reams because it's already there and it's people's ideas are coming from their heads. And I think that's why I love podcasting now because you are getting people's ideas straight out the horse's mouth and, and it's there and ready to listen to. It's a lot of work to get started. I think that's that's key, but mm. all good work is a lot of work to get started. Mm. What, what we've learned over the period of the time that we were working on it was it stopped a lot of the work that we weren't interested in doing. So mm. it stopped a lot of the little bits and pieces and we were able to replace that with podcast content. So if we have to write something for a client newsletter that goes out once a month, or now we just put the podcast content in. We don't have to worry about scratching around for something on data or uh, making something up. It's um, Yeah, it's a lot of work to get started, but it 
it's I think we're into series two and it's a it's a pretty well old machine now and it definitely it's it's easier. I think we've been a lot more laid back going into series two actually knowing knowing how it goes and that you can't control a conversation. So there's no point scripting it to the nth degree. Um, so just let the conversation happen as long as you know roughly, you know, what, where you want to take it and the outcome you want from the episode. That's kind of all you need, really. Mm. And the ability, I think, to tell a story. And I think you guys have been great partners in that, um, in really having that overall look and the vision for Upfront and being able to keep, keep us on track with that. How has that... Because what you've done is essentially established a tone of voice in audio that didn't exist before. So, you know, you're in, in, in many ways, you're inventing a brand for yourself, say, the tone of voice in that medium. Has that penetrated other content now? Has, has the podcast tone of voice and style bled into other work that you create? It started to. Mm. It certainly influenced um, a lot of other stuff we've done. We've we, <laughs> the podcast uses a lot of our secondary colour palette, which is a bit more rebellious than the, the core iris colours, for example. And we're seeing that filter through into other comms and and our brand assets. Um, we're also talking about doing an employee conference and thinking how that could be more upfront as well. But also at the same time, I kind of want to protect it. It's a, mm. It feels like you know a very different brand asset with its own identity, and I would hate for it to get diluted if we were to. That if that was to become everything. I think if it was, we'd need to go and find Upfront too and, and go even further out there. <laughs> um, quickly on language, it's another element that I think we discuss with various brands. When you're having a fluid conversation with people and you're inviting disruptive guests and you've got a comedian as, as a presenter, Series two, episode one has one shag and one shit in the first ten minutes. <laughs> you don't count. <laughs> it's, I haven't counted all? them all. That's just... disappointing. <laughs> I was hoping for more. Um, I mean, that it's obviously okay. You've put it through. Was there was there much discussion about whether that was problematic? I don't think so. It's their voices. That's what's great about it. Is it's uh, Kevin and Olga talking about their views on financial services and creativity. So we 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 can't really get in the way of that. Uh, I think it's handled pretty well. I mean, it, the language, what it's what Upfront has helped us to do is to ease off a little from the tech speak and the financial services speak generally across what we do in, in marketing, because it can get really vanilla and really bland really quickly. When you're talking about um, software, it's not too long before you get to innovative and efficient you know, user interface or something like that. We, mm. What Upfront has done, and Kate's brilliant at this, I, what the most, one of my favorite things about series one was the, the episode titles. They have three or four words yes. that just wrap up the insight behind the, the episodes really clearly and really with a, with a bit of humor and a, a little bit of um, a lot of panache. What we've been able to do with Upfront is take that as the benchmark or the, the blueprint for how we can start to talk about other parts of, of the business and how we communicate the benefit of what Iris does and the, and the software because we need to communicate with life and with energy and that's what Upfront's helped us do. I'd add to that, actually. We we we'll always brief our guests on um, the tone for Upfront to say, you know, say what you like. This is free space. You know, mm. we want you to get passionate. So it's not gratuitous swearing. If someone's swearing in the conversation, it's because they're getting passionate about a topic. And that's what we wanted. So we wanted to keep that in and not not censor anyone. It was really important. And we had some brilliant guests on who really understood the assignment. Yeah, really let's talk about that for a moment, because I think the guest choices are are really interesting and, and obviously crucial. How, how who are those people? How do you go about choosing them? 
they obviously get it, as you say. Yeah, we were looking for people who were doing something good in financial services already or outside the industry that could kind of provide some inspiration to the financial services sector. Um, So people were trying to move the industry forward, having conversations, putting stuff out there or doing good things. So we started off looking at contacts. I think you kind of went through the address book. We think if you're starting a a podcast for anyone out there thinking about it, it's what we did first was found the people who were most likely to say yes to something that had never been done before and that we had no no track record of, of success. So people that we knew, people that, um, yeah, close contacts, but with a, with a um, you know, solid reputation in the industry. The, our first six guests across three, the first three episodes were all people that we had had some connection with or, you know, friends from in the industry. Uh, so we, we lent on them. We, we cut, our, cut our teeth with those guests, but they all had great points of view and some of those episodes are still the one of those episodes is still the strongest performing episode once we've got the first three under our belt then we have a template to show people and and to dangle in front of other guests that we are trying to target again i think that was a benefit of using you guys rather than going it alone because you were able to secure some guests that i don't think we would have done ourselves i think you as a production company you know you've got that kind of stamp of authority and uh, mm-hmm. on you whereas iris perhaps a better lesser known um, we, and we were able to get some really good names for the first series and what's the the within your colleagues and the sort of the wider iris organization how is the podcast regarded internally is it still a little project that you two have done oh, the- that's a really good question because in the period of series one to series two there's been a huge amount of change at iris uh, the ceo the founding ceo has retired uh, left the business our boss uh, CMO at the time has has moved on. We've got a new CMO. The business itself has been restructured over the last six months. So in some ways, we're starting again with Series 2 internally. Series 1 was definitely received very well and and positively, and it was a signal of what could be done with more planning and more commitment. Uh, and there was a, a lot of support for it. I think we're getting there with Series 2. We're only first episode out. And at this point in time, internally, people have probably got their minds on other things. But we believe in it. And I'm sure by the end of October, November, there will be a hugely positive reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And there is now. I'm, I don't want to diminish what there is now. Sure. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a challenge still to go. I think there was a lot of interest and curiosity in it, actually, because it was the first thing like that that we've done in well, forever. Um, nobody had seen Iris do a podcast before and certainly not with this kind of look and feel. It was very different. The fact that we've got a comedian fronting it as well. I think there was a lot of excitement around it. People were really supportive of it. We got, you know, 2000 people in the company. So we did internal comms to help push it to them, to help drive up numbers. And there was a lot of engagement around it. And you had people coming up to me going, just listen to this episode. I love it. And, you know, I'll this bit, da, 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 da. And, you know, when's the next episode coming out? Yeah. People asking when, when we can do series two as well. So, yeah. It seems so obvious that the internal mm. selling and the internal comms and encouraging your colleagues to listen to the podcast, but so many people don't do it. Mm. it you know, it's, it's extraordinary the number of large organisations who make podcasts without really telling their teams that it's there or enthusi- you know, you've got 2,000 advocates for the podcast there who are at hand for you. And um, I think it's, it's something that, again, you guys have done brilliantly, but is very often overlooked. Have you seen that turn into ideas coming through from colleagues? Do you get people saying, "This, per- I've, you know, I've just had a call with this person. They've been an amazing guest for a podcast," or, you know, do they try and chip in with ideas? We've had some of that. Yeah, we've had a little bit of that, and um, yeah, perhaps you know, 
some salesperson has got a contact somewhere who might want to come on. But we're, we're quite picky about who we mm. have on. Mm. You know, we want to keep a certain standard. So we are looking for, perhaps, you know, and also the look, you know, we don't want to put clients on the podcast because sure. that would make it very different, I think. Or we don't want to put anyone who might, you know, might seem like we're trying to sell something. So we're trying to keep it, you know, wider than wider than that. Yeah. So let's talk about promotion then, because again, it's something you've done really well and it's something you're very conscious of. You have pretty much abided by our rule of thumb, which is try and spend as much on promoting the podcast as you do on <laughs> making it. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt, let's talk about that that promotional campaign because we've, we've promoted on Spotify, on Acast. How important has that been as part of the whole strategy? Yeah, it's, it's really important. I mean, part of the thinking was make something that people want to listen to and to help people listen to it, we've got to promote it. The really good thing about series one was that we put it, we presented it as a test and learn. We thought we didn't know it was going to work. We didn't know how successful it was going to be. And and we had permission to just try something and try see how effective it could be. Uh, and as I said before, we worked with great people. Rich who helped us really understand what we needed to spend to get a certain um, a level of awareness and a certain level of engagement. And so we just, yeah, we, we, we went for it. It was, it is really important to do work that then people use or that helps build awareness otherwise why why are you doing it and part of that is spending money with confidence that it's going to help us do that and so to enlarge slightly on the on the promo plan that's on let's say acast and spotify specifically within like the ft and the economist so again is that a place that you spend other promotional money on if you're doing do you do print with the economist or the ft or is that uh, did you go to those because they're big yeah, we, we went to them because they have their audience and the reach. Mm. Uh, we we haven't really done much with either of those publications before. Right. We have done work with smaller publications, but this audience for Upfront is is broad. It's the top of the funnel for Iris. It's uh, financial services across UK and Australia. So it's a, it's a pretty broad audience, which part, part of the challenge is creating content that speaks to to that broad audience and finding partners that can help us reach that audience. So like I said, it was an experiment. It was let's see what see what happens, test and learn. And really we wanted to grow followers for the first series. I think that was the important thing. Um, I felt like we had a point to prove after putting <laughs> putting all that work in and effort. We wanted to get numbers and I ad spend was the right way to do that. To build a decent following, knowing then that if we were to do another series, we've got that core audience to build on. So let's talk about those numbers and results. So this is series one before series two kicked off. 9,751 hours of listening time. That's 406 days of listening. An average of 3,600 downloads per episode. Those are really impressive numbers. Did you have numbers in your heads before you started off? Did you have solid targets for listenership or were we just trying to make it as big as we could. <laughs> oh, we, so to go back to your question about LinkedIn, I remember we wrote a blog about data and we put it on LinkedIn and it got 146 likes or clicks right. or shares or something like that. And I think Kate probably worked a couple of days on it and somebody edited it's it. And interview with the talent about data. Uh, so my benchmark was pretty low, actually. If we can get 147 <laughs> clicks, we're, we're onto something here. But um, yeah, no, I think we, we thought maybe a thousand downloads per episode, somewhere somewhere around there, that would be interesting. Bear in mind, there's two and a half thousand people at Iris. So, so yes. if, we, if we got half the people at Iris listening to something, then it was sort of a, sort of a win. But really, 
the bar was pretty low, but we thought we had something that would work really hard for us. Yeah, we set some quite modest KPIs. I think it was about um, 1500 per episode. And we smashed that <laughs> multiple times over for every episode. So I think we were blown away when that when we saw that those stats coming in. And the yeah. listen through rate is really strong as well. Mm. So, you, you know, you're looking at around a 70% listen through mm. rate, which is always where we aim to be, you know, to, to get people to listen to the majority of episodes. Again, I know we keep saying it, but for a financial services mm. podcast, at, with that level of engagement, you know, you're talking about 20 minutes of somebody's time being dedicated to your content, which again, they probably didn't spend 20 minutes reading the LinkedIn post or mm. the white paper. Yeah. We've got, got experts. I think that's what it was. These people mm. have really strong, clean, clear, opinionated views about stuff in financial services that is relevant to, should be relevant to the industry. We've got some, we're really lucky that we've got great talent. Episode one of series two, Kevin Chesters, we, to get 25 minutes of his time talking about uh, how to think more creatively and how, how to be more innovative, that that is, that's brilliant for us. You should. There's no reason to not listen to the 25th minute because it's good yeah. content. It's really <laughs> valuable content. But I'd say also, importantly, it's entertaining. And that was our thing the whole way through. Make this an entertaining financial services podcast and something very different that people actually, as you say, would want to spend their time listening to. Because it's I'm so conscious there's so many podcasts out there. And how do you break into that? And especially when you're Iris in a relatively unknown company, yeah, to even get a share of that. Mm. I think it's really impressive. And how successful have you been at getting guests to promote the podcast on their own feeds? Have, have they been quite collaborative and enthusiastic about sharing? Yeah, some more so than others. But yeah, certainly we've seen the difference when they have done that. Um, I think our second episode with um, Charlie Corbett and Julia Newbold, they they shared that a lot. Um, and on, on LinkedIn, on their socials, and we saw a massive spike in in listens and downloads on that on that episode. So we could see the difference it makes. So yeah, for every guest, we really try and encourage them to share it. And what's the level of internal scrutiny on those results? Are you having to, are you reporting back on them? Has the success of Series 1 meant that you're being set higher targets for Series 2? How, how does that accountability work? Not not so much higher targets. I think we, we're more confident about Series 2 than we were about Series 1. We, we expect to get better results because we're in, we know what we're doing a little bit more. So uh, I think there's confidence that we'll make it work. So it's not so much about scrutiny on results. Uh, one of the things that we weren't sure of the right balance of was how much of the podcast should be iris and how much of it should just be good entertainment, let's say. So the thing that we've done differently this time round is to pull the iris brand a little bit closer to the upfront brand so that we get a bit more connection between upfront coming from this brand called iris. But beyond that, it's almost the same budget that we're spending. We've got through it a little bit quicker in in production. Um, so there's less time put into it and there's more confidence that it's going to work. So there, there's not a, uh, and we've got the numbers from series one to prove success. So mm -hmm. it's, we're just building. I think if we, if we got to a level where we're flatlining and putting all the, all the same effort in, then there'd be a few questions, but um, we know podcasting is that you just, it's a long term play, isn't it? It's so you've got to keep building it. It is a long game, but your, you know, your commitment is exactly, is exactly right. Is there anything else in terms of kind of tangible results that you've been able to mm -hmm share internally? Is there any, anything that you've been able to hold up to colleagues and go, I don't know, this wouldn't have happened without like a Like an award? An award? <laughs> yeah, we can hit them on the heads with our award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is great, isn't it? And that's a, so it, it won a corporate content award earlier this year. Mm. 
at an award ceremony brilliantly hosted by Olga without any of us yes. realising. Uh, no connection. No, <laughs> yeah. no money change hands. Yeah. <laughs> no. But that is a tangible result, isn't it? It's yeah. something to really celebrate. Yep. We weren't making award-winning content before. <laughs> and we can say that we are now. Mm. We were nominated for a drum award. We won the Corporate Content Award. And yeah, I mean, everyone's over the moon by that. Because as I say, we weren't, we weren't doing that before. And I think Upfront is held up as an example now of it's really raised the bar, I think, for content and, and marketing and creativity within the company, um, which I think has been a really good thing because we really needed that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So what would you say to anybody else? You've always you've already done one tip, Matt, but anything else you would say to somebody else starting at the bottom of this journey, this bottom of this mountain to build their own podcast? What tips would you pass on? Well, don't build your own podcast. I think was would be tip number one. Work with people who know how to build your own, <laughs> own podcast. What we were really confident about, and I, it's not a not a plug, but I felt really, really confident when I met Fresh Air, the Fresh Air crew, that you knew how to do this. We, Like I said before, we were really comfortable that we had the brief right, that we knew we had this problem to solve around awareness and we needed to uh, build the Iris brand and create content that positioned Iris in, in the right way. And, and we were really comfortable that we knew how to do that. We knew that we needed to work with people who, who podcast experts. So my first tip would be use your network, work with a professional partner who knows how to do this because we made a horrible podcast originally and uh, it, nobody listened. I didn't even listen to it. it was we, Nobody wanted to listen to it. <laughs> so we had that little kind of uh, flirt with podcasting and then we that helped us confirm that we needed to work with with experts. Having said that, we didn't know what we were going to get. So we you know keep open-minded. You do your job for a reason. You pushed us and helped us shape something that we're all really proud of. So... Um, yeah, keep open-minded and, and hang on. <laughs> Kate? Uh, similar, actually. I would I would say just take a leap of faith and go for it. And yeah, we didn't have any expectations. We were treating it as an experiment. We were happy to take a risk. And I think that risk has really paid off with us. And we've seen the difference it makes when you work with people who really know their stuff. And we've been complimented on the quality of the production. And I think actually some of our guests are now working with you on their own podcast. Yes. And um, I think that's helped us get a better quality of guest on as well um, when they see what a good production it is. Um, so it's kind of become this self-fulfilling thing, actually. And so, yeah, I, I'm really glad that we took a chance on it because I was nervous about doing it. I think I felt all of those things you've described about, you know, oh, I'm in my comfort zone writing blogs and things like that. But, oh, it's not satisfying doing that and not getting good numbers. And... I'm getting a lot more satisfaction and happiness out of doing what I'm doing now than I was before writing blogs that nobody read. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, Upfront from Iris is a punk take on financial services. It's available on all good podcast platforms and others, any podcast platform, basically. Uh, case study in creating distinct, unconventional podcasts with a really well-defined tone of voice using podcasting to create some really really extraordinary content thank you to kate atkinson iris's content lead and matt holland head of communication at iris and of course raj panda our brilliant producer here at fresh air we should also say that the other producers involved in upfront are annie day and ollie seymour Thanks. Thanks for having us on. And if you'd like to find out about how Fresh Air could make a standout podcast for your brand, please do get in touch. You can find us at freshairproduction.co.uk. And for now, I'm Neil Cowling. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.
Fresh FM.